0: Has anyone seen the school snake? No, we're the <laughs> They should make t-shirts that say, to-do list, go to therapy, become a werewolf.
1: Everyone in the immediate vicinity, detention. I'm creating a breakfast club situation right now. What's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you guys in the bathroom? <laughs> <laughs> Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf.
0: Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Free Watch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kate Colvin, and I'm joined by
2: Will Wallace
0: and Clissa Mullis. Every week we'll be watching and talking about the Hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week we're talking about season two, episode seven, Restraint. If you're watching Teen Wolf for the first time and you're worried about spoilers, have no fear. This podcast is broken up into two sections, Alpha and Beta. The beta section is for first-timers who are just now finding this awesome series and don't want to be spoiled about what's to come. The second section, Alpha, is where we go full spoilers and talk about not just the current episode, but the entire Teen Wolf series, as well as its place in the fandom. In the show notes of your podcast app of choice, you'll find the time codes for the alpha and beta sections. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our wolfy patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes... Full Moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash rtbhpodcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rtbhpodcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com.
1: This week's episode title is Restraint, and it was written by Nick Antosca and Ned Vizzini. It was directed by Russell Mulcahy. In this week's episode, the Kanema continues its killing spree while Scott, Stiles, and Allison try to figure out the identity of the person controlling it. Derek and the Betas prepare for the full moon. Isaac worries about Derek being unprotected against the Argents. Scott and Stiles deal with the frustration and disappointment of Melissa and the sheriff, respectively, as they all deal with the Whitmores and the restraining order against them brought by Jackson. Allison has a run-in with Jackson while he seems to be controlled by a mysterious force, and she also finds herself agreeing to a date with stalker Matt. Victoria learns that Scott and Allison have been sneaking around together. Among other things, Lydia learns the true identity of the mysterious classmate she's been talking to.
2: All right, our favorite quote of the week comes from an exchange between Jackson and Scott. Jackson says, I have a restraining order, to which Scott replies, trust me, I restrained myself. Our honorable mention this week goes to Erica in a very tender exchange with Styles, where she says, "Styles, you make a good Batman. Aww. It's a wonderful little moment.
1: and Something that I feel like Styles has been waiting to hear for like all his life. Oh, yeah. We open on a young couple, Jessica and Sean, arguing in a trailer. Jessica complains that Sean has said that they'd only be in a trailer for a few weeks. Sean says that just because they're in a trailer doesn't mean they're trailer trash.
0: Wow. Okay, so Beacon Hills doesn't have homophobia, but it does have classism.
1: No place is perfect.
2: Yep.
0: (laughs) Soon, the couple make up after their fight.
1: All those crazy kids are going to make it after all. Are you sure about that? They don't seem like murder victims to you? Actually, this does sort of remind me of the opening of like Campfire Tales or Urban Legend, a fun 90s film where, you know, they're just set up to die. Yeah.
2: Is it all the Zooms that I wish they would stop doing? Because they're still doing the Zoom. That does feel a little 90s. When the power goes out in the trailer, Sean leaves to check it out. He gets into a conversation with a figure in a black hood before a long reptilian tail unfurls from the trees and pulls Sean up, never to be heard from again.
0: I do love that bit.
2: It's great.
1: nice. I like it. After the theme sequence, Scott, Styles, and Allison discuss the Jackson situation. Styles thinks he might go into a fugue state, not remembering the murders, getting rid of the blood, or the person who's controlling it. While they talk, we see Jackson in a daze, washing blood from his clawed
0: hands. I love how that looks. The claws and the blood, the makeup effects and the filming of it both look so good.
2: It looks really, really great.
1: It's a beautiful sequence. Teen Wolf, you guys know your stuff.
0: It is. Yeah. It's like visually poetic, you know? The trio resolves to keep trying to convince Jackson that he's not becoming a werewolf, simply delayed by his association with the immune Lydia, but is actually a murder lizard.
2: That's a band name. I call it murder lizard.
0: Are
1: you guys punk rock or?
2: It's actually an all boys choir called murder <laughs> lizard. We do hymns, devotion. I wanted to say like, like an
1: acapella
0: thing. <laughs> I was thinking ska. It sounds uh, like a ska
2: band. There you go, yes. That Something... I wouldn't
0: listen to. <laughs> I'm gonna say
1: that uh Murder, Lizard is like a slayer cover band that's only does a cappella versions
0: of the song.
2: <laughs> I'd 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 give that a listen. So <laughs> I'd give yes, listen. Yes, you
0: would. I believe that. <laughs>
2: Unfortunately for them and their plan, Jackson has successfully secured a restraining order against Scott and Styles after the failed temporary kidnapping of the previous episode. Styles asked what would happen if they had to go to the bathroom at the same time and there are only two stalls available right next to each other, but the sheriff is not amused.
1: This is such a Styles line of questioning. I mean, come on now. This is what would have happened if Styles had been bitten and turned into a werewolf. He would have been following Derek around being like, okay, okay, so like the full moon, like what happens during like an eclipse? Like... What happens with this? Blah, 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 blah.
0: Is it the moonlight, or is it just the moon being visible? What about whenever
1: you can see, like it's morning, but you can see the moon still up in the sky? Like what happens there?
0: Right. When the moon and sun are both out, do they cancel each other out or anything?
2: That's called morning wolf. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was pretty okay.
0: It was okay.
2: All right. Moving on, I guess.
0: Stolinsky tells Styles that they're lucky the Whitmores didn't press charges. Stiles assures his father that it was all a prank. Melissa is also very disappointed in Scott, saying she didn't think things would escalate to the point of restraining orders so soon.
1: And I feel like she probably thought it would be the Argents getting a restraining order against him. <laughs> yeah. Whitmores really yeah. came from left field on that one.
0: <laughs> yep. They were, they were the dark horse in the, the race to get a restraining order against Scott McCall.
1: Do you feel like there was a time whenever Coach Vinstock tried to get a restraining order against a Greenberg and they're like, no, you can't get a restraining order just because he's annoying. Also, he doesn't exist, Coach. There never was a Greenberg.
0: Yeah, there you
1: go. Melissa grounds him for his bizarre behavior, coming home late, missing a chemistry test, all of his shenanigans. Scott can go to school and work, but he can't use the car and he can't see Styles. No Styles.
0: What happens to Styles' neck in the reaction shot here?
1: I loved it. It was a great giraffe neck, which is like (laughs) one of my things. I love tall boys with giraffe necks.
0: (laughs) Good to know.
2: Melissa wants to know what's up with Scott, and he's ready to tell her everything, but she thinks it has something to do with his dad. And of course, Jackson hears all of this.
0: And he's just so
1: happy with himself. Jackson, man.
0: Oh, he's so smug and unbearable.
2: It's the worst.
0: At Derek's lair, Derek tells Isaac and Erica that they need the help of Scott and his friends to find out who the canema is. Erica asks whether they should get close to Scott or Styles, and Derek says, either.
2: But he's thinking, please say style, please stay styles.
0: No, he's thinking, please say Scott, so she'll stay away from
1: Styles. Come on now. Oh, I know you're new to sense. being a steric shipper, but get with the program, man.
0: Wow. He's he's a steric noob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying over time. here. Give him I'm some trying. time.
2: Isaac is worried about the approaching full moon, but Derek has a plan for that involving a lot of chains, which, Isaac points out, will leave Derek alone against the Argents.
1: Oh, he's just like such a good sun beta
0: to he Derek. He is. He tries so hard.
1: Erica and Boyd were just f***ing around somewhere, but...
0: Where is Boyd in this episode?
1: Yeah, Boyd was just gone. He was like yeah. busy that week. What was happening? He's trying to put in extra hours at the skating rink after they all to hell that one
0: episode. <laughs> yep. He's like... I don't know about you losers, but I'm going to go to class and pass and get a diploma.
2: I got a job. I got bills.
0: Derek
1: doesn't care as long as they find the canima first. There's something about the way Gerard looked at the canima that made Derek think he knows what the canima is and is planning something nefarious.
0: This is uncharacteristically perceptive of him.
1: Also, he's not wearing black hair. He's a completely different person in this episode.
0: Muted green. That is a lot for Derek.
2: Okay, guys, it's laundry day. Give him a pass.
1: i feel like this is when he's been texting styles and styles has been sharing information with him
0: about how gerard acted with the canima i don't think styles was there
1: yeah but scott was
0: scott did not read that on gerard's face bullshit if there's anyone more obtuse to that sort of thing especially when it comes to the argents it's scott
1: well maybe derek noticed and texted styles what do you think is going on with this also don't tell scott he sucks Thought I would buy. Makes sense. I just feel like we don't see it, but we do there's definitely things that indicate Styles and Derek have been communicating off screen. And I feel like this is one of the things where he would see if Styles could figure something out. Especially, does he know at this point if they have the bestiary?
0: I don't think he does.
2: If he does, it's because Styles told him.
1: Well, that one episode they had just got the bestiary whenever he came up to them and they had like the abomination exchange.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's true. Well, I don't think he told Derek about it in that scene, but I guess he if did, we're talking about, like- you know, off-screen communication, you could make an argument that maybe Styles shared that with him over text with a phone that Styles either insisted he get or directly purchased for him.
2: I'm going to go with directly purchased for him and just left on his doorstep. <laughs> The next day at school, Allison surreptitiously meets with Scott and Styles at the library to show them what Lydia translated from the bestiary about the Kanima. In the background, you can see the camera following Allison the whole time.
0: I just now noticed that when we (laughs) rewatched it.
1: I still didn't notice it. I mean, you guys go back and I'm just like so unobservant. Lydia is still very confused about what's happening, but she must remain in the dark for now. They learn the Kanima's weapon of vengeance that should be a werewolf, but can't make the full transformation until it resolves the trauma that made it.
2: That is really interesting that the Canima is a werewolf, but that it's this deformed version that's kind of like, you know, get over your past, hang up, and then you can be a werewolf.
0: They should make t-shirts that say, to-do list, go to therapy, become a werewolf.
1: I like it. And as you know, everyone in Beacon Hills needs therapy.
0: Yep. And that goes double for you, Derek. So the group thinks that all of this may have something to do with Jackson's biological parents. Allison will ask Lydia about them while Scott takes his makeup test with Harris. The
1: librarian here is like, what is going on with these kids? (laughs)
2: Right, And they're showing a surprising amount of restraint for that, you know, typical gag of a shushing student interrupting a scene like this.
1: Restraint? There it is i actually forgot that there was a library set because we talked previously about how, you know, you guys made one and it's yep. like a very elaborate one. I guess Beacon Hills finally got some like funding and they were able to create a whole new library.
2: Well, after hell, this episode ends. <laughs> My yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> just like, just build a f- new one.
0: What do you think insurance <laughs> premiums are like in Beacon Hills?
2: Sky oh, r- Ridiculous. High.
0: That's why we're always talking about insurance adjusters in these episodes.
2: Yes, insurance adjusters do have now shown up twice in two seasons.
1: <laughs> why do they jump to thinking Jackson's parents have something to do with
0: it it's Allison's first thought when Stiles makes the comment about oh Jackson could use a bunch of therapy i could have told you that and Allison's like well maybe it has something to do with his birth parents which tells me speaking of off-screen communication that maybe during that time frame toward the end of season 1 when Jackson and Allison were kind of getting closer In a platonic way, Scott, you don't need to hallucinate them banging in a car. That when they were having this heart-to-heart and maybe when Allison was expressing some of her suspicions about her family, maybe Jackson shared something personal too about his family that it was really hard for him when he learned for the first time that he was adopted and mm-hmm. that his family were not his biological family that's all i can think because the, the only there isn't like a, a big reveal of information it's allison's first guess when they're trying to work through this idea of the Canima being a werewolf that needs to work through something before it can manifest its wolfiness Right. So Allison somehow knows about that and suspects that it's something that he struggles with. Yeah. Maybe
1: it's just the fact that he's very upset about being co-captain and if they just got rid of Scott, he could have all his trauma resolved about being bumped down to co-captain. Yes,
2: yes. Yeah. later that day at a, lac- a lacrosse practice, coach comes in and is like, you know what, McCall, it's not working out. Jackson, you're captain again. And he just sprouts all the fur and fangs. He's like, <laughs> yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Past trauma relieved. Elsewhere in the school, Jackson enters an empty, dimly lit classroom.
0: I feel like Jackson just walked into a noir film. You know, there are the horizontal shadows in slats all over the room from the blinds, casting those shadows on his face like, hello, femme fatale.
1: I'd watch a noir episode of Teen Wolf. That would be fun. I would just love for like Teen Wolf, like Teen Wolf was an amazing show and this is just crazy, but I would love if Teen Wolf came back and then did like basically the like community equivalent where they just had like every episode was like balls out crazy in
0: some way. <laughs> and just totally different in terms of genre. That would this definitely would be fun. Be, the canema always hisses twice. <laughs>
2: Well done. And speaking of noir, remember that Jonathan Hall, the director of photography of the first two seasons of Teen Wolf and Russell McKay, made a noir film right before starting Teen Wolf way back in season one.
0: That does make sense. What was it called?
2: That movie was called Malone and it starred the incomparable Tom Jane.
0: And it's perfect because Jackson's cheekbones cast shadows. So half the work is done.
2: There you go.
1: He finds a snake in a display tank.
0: Intrigued, Jackson removes the snake and swallows it whole just before a teacher arrives.
1: Yum. Has anyone seen the school snake is what that teacher asks as soon as he walks in?
0: <laughs> no, what are we talking about?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's Laura Webb's dad, right?
2: That is right.
1: That'd be fun, like, you know, to be able to put your all those toes up in a show.
2: That would be a lot of fun. In Harris's class, Scott starts his makeup test.
1: What class is this for again? Is what I'm sure Scott would be thinking. <laughs> Probably. And
0: what's my age again?
1: That is what Tyler Posey would be thinking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, Melissa uses the excuse of a messy room to search Scott's belongings for anything to help explain his recent behavior.
1: I doubt one shirt is what would be wrong in that teenage boy's room.
2: Yeah, definitely.
1: People are going to die if she doesn't go to work though. That's true. She doesn't find anything incriminating, but she does find a mostly empty box of condoms.
2: Okay,
0: well, now you know he's being safe. Right? And that he buys condoms ripped for her pleasure. Would you rather find that mama call or a pregnancy test?
1: She has to explain to Scott that he's not the one who's supposed to be taking the pregnancy test, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She's like, sweetie, you know that's not how it works, right? Sex ed is a travesty.
1: Yeah, I think she's got to appreciate that at least he's not, like, hopefully a selfish lover.
2: Yeah. He's a giver. Back at school, Scott struggles through his makeup test as Allison stalks Jackson to the boys' locker room, where she's startled by Matt.
1: Stalking, you know what that looks like, Matt. Can mm-hmm. recognize that on sight.
0: <laughs> yeah, game should recognize game here.
1: Allison is even more startled when she finds herself agreeing to go on a date with him.
0: He's such a tryhard too. He's like, he's talking about like, yeah, there's like a band and you know, pretty good spin this DJ. I'm like, oh god, stop.
1: Oh, right. Allison's face is just like, wait, what did I just agree to? <laughs> I I always found Matt to be very cute though. He's adorable. I mean, yeah, stocking is not cool. Nope. But taking the stocking out of it, I felt like he's just an adorable guy. And I feel like he has like a lot of really cute moments this season.
0: Yeah, I, I can't really judge in that regard because I definitely saw American Beauty in high school and had a big old crush on Wes Bentley. So. Styles badgers Lydia for information on Jackson's biological parents, but all he gets is her favorite word. No, she's such a delight.
2: Yes, she is. And all of this is watched closely by Erica. I feel like Erica's wardrobe
1: has violated many a dress code at the school. Yes.
0: Yeah, I got scolded in high school just for a camisole strap being visible. Not even a bra strap, a camisole strap. They just get so overexcited about stigmatizing girls' bodies.
1: Yeah, they made me put a cardigan over a spaghetti strap shirt I was wearing. And it was like some something they had from like Lost and Found. And I was like, oh,
0: uh,
1: I, so I hate so- this so much. Yeah. Meanwhile,
0: she's oh. out here wearing like a leather bustier.
1: <laughs> Raw, completely on display, pretty much. Hey,
0: maybe maybe their school isn't as stigmatizing of clothing and bodies as ours was. Yeah. Speaking of uh, being comfortable with the human body, Allison enters the boys' locker room and is accosted by a naked Jackson. Damn,
1: those hip bones are as sharp as those cheekbones. And I'm into both.
0: Bone structure for days.
2: He's got a matching set. <laughs>
1: Styles is also accosted by Erica, who wants to know why Styles is asking about Jackson's biological parents.
0: I've seen many gift sets comparing all the time Styles is pushed up against a wall, and they always conclude that Derek was, in fact, the gentlest.
1: Yeah, I, I feel like that's right. That poor boy would have such a bruised up back. Oh, yeah. He's like beheading to his chiropractor every week, and they're like, why has it been happening to you?
0: <laughs> He's
2: I like,
1: want to talk about it? You know what, Dolores?
0: <laughs> it's been a week. <laughs> Styles points out that Erica shouldn't have her claws out given the surveillance cameras in the school hallways but if she wants to play Catwoman he'll be her Batman Erica says that if Styles is wondering about Jackson's biological parents she just so happens to know where they are Beacon Hills Cemetery
2: Well Erica if you're wondering about Batman he doesn't believe in oral sex so you're gonna have a very <laughs> bad time
0: <laughs> Shame on you DC There's a reason why
1: only his mouth is exposed on that cowl <laughs> <laughs>
0: wow <laughs> bruce that's
1: like the sexiest thing a dude could say to me though i, I can play Pat- Catwoman; woman he can be batman <laughs> struggling through his test scott hears allison's racing heartbeat as she continues to be menaced by jackson who's also still very naked she said she could handle it scott kick him in the balls that i guess are exposed because as i said before still naked
2: so naked Erica asks Styles why he's so interested in Jackson's biological parents, but she soon realizes that it must be because Jackson is the canema.
1: Yeah. That didn't take long to figure out. I mean, they talk so loudly. You'd only have to listen in for like two seconds. You know, Derek was like, get close to one of them. It's like, Just really in proximity,
0: not like (laughs) hurt or trust. He just means within like, you know, 30 feet or something. Then you're good. Then you're good. Scott races out the classroom, much to Harris's chagrin. I mean, I don't know that I believe that Harris really cares whether he passes. It's the principle of the thing. Jackson brings Allison to tears, telling her how her stupid bitch of a boyfriend will eventually turn on her and kill her like a werewolf killed her aunt.
1: Scott is a pretty stupid bitch.
0: But this logic doesn't track. Kate didn't get killed for getting close to a werewolf. She got killed for murdering them.
1: Yeah, someone only read the Sparknotes version of the first season.
2: (laughs) Jackson draws his claws on Allison and she tries to fight him off, sending them both to the floor. Jackson steps back to reality, asking what Allison is doing in the locker room when Scott bursts in. Allison tells Scott that she's fine, but that doesn't stop Scott and Jackson from getting into a room-smashing battle.
0: More school damage. Ugh, Men. She's like, okay, we're good. Stop. Coach is not going to be happy about this later.
2: No, he is not.
0: I guess the fight had to take place here because this is the only place that wouldn't be full of cameras, right? Because the Argent School Administration isn't trying to get hit with restraining orders of their own.
1: Very true. I feel like Coach has previously tried to put cameras in
0: there, not to be a pervert
1: or anything, just because he hadn't thought it through and he wanted to catch like Greenberg doing something or being like, I'm sure Greenberg sneaks into my office. I'm just going to put a camera here. And they're like, Coach, no no coach Bad coach.
2: another instance where the union rep has to have a meeting with him and he's just like coach you bought like 19 cameras for one room he's like i greenberg he's like
0: let me understand you wanted to put cameras in the boys locker room and he's like yes i don't is there an echo in here what it's what i said yes it's
1: because they won't combine their units (laughs) Recall what Jackson's unit. Now all the units are just dangling, not connected.
2: (laughs) Oh my god.
1: Heading to the locker room, Styles tells Erica that she can't tell Derek what she knows. She can't go around destroying people just because she got the alpha bite makeover, which I would totally take, by the way. Erica thinks she can since it's what people did to her for her whole life. She adds that she used to have a Huge crush on Styles, but he never noticed her. And I mean, I totally feel like there would be a ton of girls at the school like that would be into Styles. They always portray him as like, uh, he's such a virgin and everything. No one's into him. I'm like, really, guys, really? He's got a car. He seems to know basic hygiene. That's probably uh, enough for Styles walks into school. a bar
0: because it was set so low. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, come on you went to high school, Kate
0: yeah, I've seen the uh, to quote 10 things I hate about you unwashed miscreants who normally show up there.
1: He's got cool interests and yeah he seems he seems chill.
0: I love that they do this. There are always nerd boys who are so angry that the girls they like don't notice them but we don't always get to hear from nerd girls who are angry that the boys they like don't notice them or if we do, it's with sadness and not anger. I'm not saying it's healthy or fair for anyone to do it, but I like the acknowledgement that girls can feel anger and bitterness too. And since Styles is a character that we love, having him be the one accused of being basically the stuck-up bitch for not giving Erica the time of day when she was a geek girl, it kind of casts into sharper relief how strange that sense of entitlement is when you stop to think about it for a 2nd
1: yeah, oh, that's such a good point.
2: Styles and Erica notice unusual sounds coming from the boys' locker room as water seeps under the door.
1: All I could think was, is moaning myrtle in there? <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like, you know, if Teen Wolf wanted to pull out some ghosts, there'd be lots of them at the school because so many people die there.
2: True. Oh
0: Scott and Jackson come. Bursting out of the locker room, Harris and Matt show up with the onlookers. As Harris berates Scott and Jackson, Matt finds Allison's tablet with the canema information on it. Intrigued, he sends the info to himself. He returns the tablet and finds himself in detention with everyone else.
1: Matt, who is just standing nearby. That's Harris's favorite thing to do. Everyone in the immediate vicinity, detention. (laughs) I'm creating a breakfast club situation right now. All of you, like, you know, people of different... Social groups are going to be best friends by the end of this day.
0: Yep. He's just like, okay, six people closest to me, you're in trouble. Like, all (laughs) Erica did was help break it up by grabbing Jackson and holding him back from attacking Scott. But I would watch the shit out of Breakfast Club, Beacon Hills edition. Oh, yeah.
1: That would be a lot of fun. I mean, we got clear Jackson as the jock. Obviously. Erica, I guess, would be before the transformation. Maybe a little bit after transformation. The Ally Sheedy character. Definitely. Yeah, I was
0: going to say, basket case. For sure. Yeah.
1: Allison would obviously be our Molly Ringwald princess. Mm -hmm.
2: Styles is Michael C. Hall. Is that his name? The dork character.
1: And Derek can be the too old of a guy hanging out there who was, I guess, held back several times. The Jen Nelson.
2: The Jen Nelson. Yeah.
1: Unaware of that chaos, Melissa arrives at the school to talk to Victoria. And the mysterious boy Lydia's been chatting with arrives at her locker. He tells her that he wants to show her something after school and she should bring the flower he gave her.
0: I like how she says, I thought we'd gotten past the slightly rapey language. Like, I I like that she calls him out. It's good. Yeah, she knows how to take care of
2: herself. Yes, she does. After school, Scott, Stiles, Allison, Jackson, Erica, and Matt file into the library for detention. Scott wants to kill Jackson, but Stiles says they have to find out who's controlling him so they can save him. Meanwhile, Matt reads the Kanima info he stole from Allison, catching her attention.
1: While all of this is happening, Melissa tells Victoria that Scott and Allison are in fact still dating and doing more, so to speak, a lot more. Victoria asks how Melissa knows that Scott isn't doing it with some other impressionable young girl with severely low
0: standards. I love Melissa's face when Victoria says that, her claws coming out face.
2: Uh, it's wonderful. Her face is is pretty perfect all the time.
0: It's like such a dick move though. Like to just- is. It is. But The Argents have practiced being a dick to Melissa because that is what was happening mid-season last year as well. Yeah. Melissa just wants them to continue to be safe, and Victoria says she couldn't agree more with a worryingly severe expression.
1: Yeah, it makes me suspect that she's going to cut off his dick so they can never have sex again. (laughs) That's, That's the expression on her face.
0: That is the correct caption for that facial expression, yes.
2: Yes, Indeed. Styles believes that Matt is the cannabis master, but not based on any real evidence, only that Matt bugs Styles and he doesn't like his face, which Scott isn't buying.
0: A sudden shooting pain in his head sends Jackson to the bathroom. Harris tells no one to leave their seats and leaves to check on him. He's rushing
1: after him, like, You're my favorite, Jackson. Be okay. Then he turns <laughs> to the others. What did you guys do to my Jackson?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Scott and Styles spring into action, using this opportunity to learn from Erica that Jackson's parents died in a car crash. Her father was an insurance investigator and had commented previously to Erica on the huge settlement Jackson will be getting when he turns eighteen.
0: I want to know whether Erica's dad knew the bus driver from season one. Yeah, Styles
1: is so offended here that already rich Jackson will get richer when he turns eighteen. But I mean, he does have de- dead parent Styles. It's not like it's coming out of nowhere. It's kind of a big trade off.
2: Right. That's that's very true.
0: Well, so does Derek, and Derek just upgraded from an Ashy murder crater to an abandoned train car. So.
1: Their discussion is interrupted when Scott is called to the principal's office. In the locker room, Jackson staggers to a mirror where he watches in horror as the snake he swallowed burst out of his eye and slithers down the drain.
0: This is so gruesome, grisly, and ghoulish. I love it. It's so good.
1: Also, that was a very like Adam's
0: family sort of way of putting that.
2: Yes. Thank you. Very good. All good. All good. All good stuff.
0: Every detail is exceptional. The way his eyeball gets shoved to the side and then the squishy sound effect when it finally bursts out of the socket and then the bloody slither pattern in the sink. It's really cool. Yeah.
1: This is like the horror I want in my teen shows. Yeah, Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. At home, Lydia searches for the flower the mysterious student gave her, but she can't seem to find it.
1: Well, I mean, it's probably dead at this point. Yeah.
0: Yep. She tries to find another on the lattice outside, but this leads her to the open back gate of her property where the student appeared last time.
2: All right, come on, Lydia. Those vines are obviously fake.
0: She
1: just looks towards the back gate and thinks,
0: has that always looked like that?
2: I love the score here that Dino does. It's fantastic.
0: It's like 80s dreamy synth like legend. So Tangerine dream. Tandereen
2: yes. Dream. Yes. Thank you. Jackson returns to the library looking sweaty and confused.
1: Often what happens from trips in the bathroom, I guess. <laughs> <the details. laughs> like I mean, think about it. Like, you know, Scott was always off. Having, like we had Scott running off to have like a big attack and just like, there's a bunch of weird stuff. I feel like there was just used to people coming back from the bathroom being sweaty and confused.
0: I honestly thought that sentence made sense before you followed it up with the phrase in Beacon Hills. Like <laughs> that always happens. You go to the bathroom, you come back sweaty and confused. Confused about what? Probably your sexuality. That's fine. By curious. We're we're not mad at that.
1: I feel like whenever Jackson sits down at the table, he's like, hey, what's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to you guys in the bathroom? <laughs> By reading Erica's dad's old email, Scott, Stiles, and Erica learn that Jackson was born after his mother was brought DOA to the hospital.
0: That is a really interesting discovery. Why does Stiles know Jackson's birthday by heart?
1: You don't know the birthday of all of your sworn enemies?
0: I'm lucky if I can remember the birthdays of my family and friends.
1: I feel like he wants to, he chooses to say something like particularly mean on that day to Jackson <laughs> just because he knows like Jackson's like, you know, probably getting all this love and attention and. Fancy gifts, another Porsche. So he just like wants to like cut him down.
2: Yeah, I can see that.
0: Harris leaves telling the kids they can't go home until they finish reshelving a mountain of books. Once again, Harris is such a prick.
2: It's going to really suck if these kids don't know how the Dewey Decimal System works.
1: Later, I feel like Harris just finds a ton of books tossed outside in the dumpster.
0: (laughs) The librarian's like, I regret not shushing you now.
2: (laughs) Scott finds Victoria in the principal's office. She says that she's concerned about Allison ending up in detention with him.
0: And the weird one. (laughs) Victoria goes on to remind Scott that he's lucky she's around to explain away how a fight between two teenage boys ended with a whole sink being ripped from the wall.
1: Okay, but... Can she explain that away?
0: She she actually just directs an icy murderous glare at whoever asked the question, and they, they say, withdrawn.
2: What's really unfortunate is that Slappy's dead, and there's no one there to clean it up. <laughs> so it's just going to be broken forever.
1: She then asks Scott if he's having sex with Allison, all while aggressively sharpening a bunch of pencils. Because, you know, that's how the Argents roll with weird intimidation tactics.
2: Yep.
0: This is going to be your dick later.
2: But- but not that But not that my daughter's vagina is a pencil sharpener. It's just that I'm, I'm going to hurt you is whats is what we're doing here.
0: It will be a pencil sharpener proportionally large enough to shave away the skin from your dick.
2: I would not put that past Victoria.
0: I also feel like if he said no, Victoria would be like,
1: oh, what? Allison's not good enough for you to have sex with now? She seems like the sort of person where you just could never win with her. Like, it'd always be the wrong answer if she disliked you.
0: Yeah. Which yeah. he does she, say no, but I. Yeah. she doesn't believe him.
1: Yeah, yeah. well... He doesn't have a great liar face. He doesn't. He and Allison have that in common.
2: <laughs> While wandering through the forest, Lydia finds an abandoned mansion.
0: She looks so gorgeous in this scene. Yes, yeah, she does. Is this the Hale House that we're seeing,
1: guys? It is. As Harris leaves the school in his car, we see that he has the same Einstein bumper sticker that we saw earlier on the car driven by the presumed master of the canema the one who Put his gloved hand up there with him in the camera had a moment. Aww. It was an adorable
2: moment. Also, bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum.
1: I feel like Harris would definitely have a lot of people that he'd want to get murdered. He's got like a long ass vengeance list. I think someone would even be like my sort of vengeance list where it's just like that barista at the local coffee place. Who like rolled her eyes whenever <laughs> I asked if she could use like, you know, soy milk instead of regular milk. And I'm pretty sure she used regular milk.
2: So. I was literally just imagining him like Magic. at Starbucks taking a sip as he turns away and he's like not hot enough. He looks back into the was just there ripping out someone's throat. <laughs> <laughs> Cause you're right. He would be a petty bitch.
0: Lost in the stacks, Stiles, Scott, and Allison learned that Jackson was born via C-section after his mother died. But were his parents murdered? The police report was inconclusive, but if they were, it falls in line with the canema seeking out and killing murderers.
1: If they were murdered, or it's inconclusive conclusive, who exactly is he getting this huge settlement from?
2: I guess maybe there's another car that caused the accident and he's getting a settlement from their insurance
0: company. So then what's inconclusive is whether it was intentional?
2: Just
1: nothing about this makes any sense because I just feel like that's not how car accidents work. I mean, I feel like if there was like if he was getting any sort of settlement, I feel like the other car would have to have been like, you know, like truck di- driver for a major company who like fell asleep at the wheel or hmm. like, you know, some sort of like to get a big payout. I feel like there would definitely have to be like liability. Li- yeah. Liability. Exactly. Thank you. Couldn't think of the word, but it doesn't make any sense to be like, maybe they were like murdered. Like, did someone cut their brakes? Maybe they just taken it to like a, a shop and then like their brakes weren't working. That's my, new head, that's my new head can. Okay, so they had just t- recently taken their car to an auto body shop. The next time they drove it, the brakes failed. And so the shop got sued by their other family members being like, okay, you guys should have caught this. You did something to the brakes. And then,
0: yeah, it was- Hold up, hold up. So is that why the canema killed a mechanic? Yeah.
2: That okay. mechanic was the one who did it. And he was pretty young. So, you know, he was like, he was you know, just a baby about, with
1: a pair of scissors. Hey,
2: yes. Yes. With little I don't know pliers.
1: But like, they talk about like, you know, breaks being cut, like, I imagine like an actual like cord there, but I'm pretty sure that's not how that works.
0: <laughs> Probably not. But I did really enjoy the image of somebody with like child scissors, you know, where they have like the rounded ends just being like, wee, <laughs> I'm cutting
1: breaks. Like little Damien.
2: <laughs> yes.
1: Allison asks, does the canema kill for Jackson or for the person controlling him? While this discussion goes on, Jackson starts hallucinating cryptic messages on book covers telling him to close his eyes.
0: This is like some ghostwriter shit.
1: I love it. It's a great moment. It reminds me of that earlier scene. I mean that one was just caused by anxiety, nothing like this. But like whenever Scott was imagining taking the test, it was things like, how many of your friends do you think you'll kill tonight or something?
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah that was lunatic, right? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, it right. very so
0: good. It, yeah, remind me of that.
2: When Scott goes to talk to Jackson about what they've learned, he finds Matt paralyzed on the floor. Half transformed, Jackson leaps about the library shelves, paralyzing Erica and causing a lot of property damage before writing ominously on a chalkboard that he will kill them if they don't stay out of his way.
1: It sounded like he said writing, and so I just imagine him like you know jumping up, <laughs> like like on a like fucking bull on oh. a chalkboard <laughs> like that, the,
0: like the like yeah. the chalkboard is bucking.
1: Yeah, the, the chalkboard's bucking in this scenario.
0: <laughs> I love how the makeup looks in this scene: the half-shifted face, the dead eyes, the teeth.
2: It's so good,
0: and then the way Jackson looks like a corpse puppet being forced to write the message. It all looks so cool. Dead eyes. Like a doll's
1: eyes. <laughs> nice.
0: <laughs> when they go to investigate the Kanema's message, Styles finds Erica having a seizure. Erica insists that they take her to Derek instead of the hospital. Allison decides to stay with Matt until help arrives. Scott leaves Erica's side to argue with Allison about this.
1: Ugh, Scott, why are you so difficult? Allison is fine. Erica clearly is not. Yeah. Stay with her.
2: She tells Scott that it means nothing, but Scott is worried that it does.
0: Why would it mean something? (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't get
2: this. Scott, she's being a good person to someone who got hurt. That is all that's happening in this moment. There's literally nothing else.
1: Okay, it'd be different. It's like, okay, Erica and Allison are both paralyzed. Erica's having seizures from it. Allison's not and Allison. And he's like, says, you can go help her. It's fine, this will just wear off right. like it did with styles, but we don't know what's going on with her. Then I understand, like, because like, yes, Erica was having seizures, but like, he could also be really freaked out about something happening to her. Like the about coming back, she's vulnerable. Right. So that would understand, like, he doesn't care about Matt. He's not like, oh, I should stay here in case something happens to Matt. Right. <laughs> so I just don't understand why he's like, oh, it feels like it means something. something. Yeah. Like, no, he's not choosing between the two of them, and Styles is there too. Right, Stiles exactly. To get, what, she think? Is he worried that she's going to think they're going to go like have sex in a car while he <laughs> takes her to go get help? I'm-
0: I Ooh. I think that it's that it has something to do with Jackson, or, which this this doesn't make sense because Scott wasn't present for this conversation. But I feel like it's supposed to have something to do with the conversation that sort of possessed Jackson has with Allison where he says oh Scott's gonna join Derek's pack eventually
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so I feel like that's what it's supposed to be in reference to mm-hmm. that Jackson kind of brought up the idea of Scott choosing Derek's pack over his relationship with Allison yeah it just doesn't actually make sense no. like if I feel like that's what they're trying to do I just don't feel like it fully connects
2: yeah the execution isn't really working out also you know matt's just laying there looking up at this and he's thinking this is really awkward i wish i could just roll away from this moment (laughs) right i don't want to be present
0: for this stupid ass
1: (laughs) fight watched by the security cameras scott and styles leave with erica
0: i'm surprised they're not more concerned about the cameras they know the cameras are there
1: yeah but Probably only the Argents will see the footage.
0: But they don't want the Argents to know that Jackson's the canema.
1: Maybe they'll forget to check that footage because they assume those kids will never be in the library.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, fair point. Back at the abandoned mansion, Lydia finds her mysterious classmate. She couldn't find the flower he gave her, so he asks for the kiss instead. They do kiss, and then the mansion disappears around them, only to be replaced by the burned-out remains of the Hale House. And who's she been kissing? the horribly burned visage of Peter Hale.
2: Fun fact, the moment where the pre-fire Hale house turns into the burnout version and the junior turns into into burned Peter, that's the audio sting we use for our alpha transitions.
1: Nice. I would just like to say, you shouldn't be kissing a teenager, sir. Please step away from the underage girl, Peter Hale.
0: Yep. Yep.
2: Phantom or not, sir.
0: Get back, creeper.
1: At Derek's lair, Derek breaks Erica's arm to trigger the healing process, and he squeezes the venom-laced blood out of her body, ending the seizure and saving her life. Suck it out. That's what they always do in the movies.
2: Yeah, I saw City Slickers. I know how it's done.
0: And in fanfic.
1: Just suck it harder. You're not, you're not <laughs> getting it.
0: Afterward, Scott learns that Derek knew all along that Jackson was the Kanima, but he needed Erica to confirm it. Scott agrees to join Derek's pack in order to catch Jackson, not kill him. And they're going to do it, Scott's way.
1: So the terrible way.
0: Yeah, his plans with the Kanima haven't worked out super great so far. I mean, Derek, if left to his own devices, would have killed Lydia. I'm not saying that Derek has been making amazing decisions when it comes to chasing the Kanema either. But he had said, you know, if we let the Kanema go or don't take the threat seriously enough and, and let it run loose... It's going to kill more people, and that's going to be on us because we could have stopped it. And that's exactly what happened. Scott's like, no, we could just catch it and not kill it. And then, oops, it escaped because I was busy banging Allison in the car and not paying attention when Moonrise came.
2: Yep, very bad at this. Yuppers. At the hospital, Melissa tucks in Jessica, the pregnant woman from the trailer attack, after she's given birth to her baby. She tries to warn Melissa about the inhuman thing that attacked her and Sean, but she passes out from the exertion of giving birth. After Melissa leaves, a figure emerges from the shadows and suffocates Jessica to death.
1: Thanks, Styles. Uh, <laughs> some things you just have to do yourself. Can't yep. trust other bitches. And it didn't take very long to suffocate her, though. Like I'm saying, like as a writer and consumer of many uh, horror films and stuff, it takes a lot longer to suffocate someone. It's fine that I say that. It's nothing weird.
0: As a murderer, I mean, as a writer.
1: I would also like to say, though, I think it's kind of sweet that the Canema didn't want to kill a pregnant lady. I just think it's, you know, sweet. <laughs> At the Hale House, Peter's burned phantom tells Lydia that he's sure she'll come through all of this with the minimal amount of PTSD.
0: He's the worst. Yeah, he's such a f- asshole. I will say, though, the burn makeup looks great. Indeed. Peter explains that Lydia's immunity to the bite made her perfect for something very important. She was going to be Peter's plan B.
1: Okay, Peter, stop getting so close to her and, like, smelling her. Like, it's it's weird. It Just is weird. Take a few very. steps back from Lydia there.
2: In flashes to previous scenes, we and Lydia learned that the mysterious student didn't really exist and only lived in Lydia's mind. In fact, he was a younger version of Peter Hale, who, we discover, is buried beneath the floorboards of the Hale house. Lydia opens her hands to find a wolfsbane flower. With Lydia's expression taking on the look of a person who has found purpose, the episode comes to an end.
0: Poor Lydia. Her life is hard. It's
2: very hard.
1: Yeah, no one can beat Derek in the emotional pain Olympics, but I do feel really bad for Lydia during the season.
2: Yeah, just a pawn for everyone. Not good.
0: All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Restraint. And now we're about to dive into spoilers, not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler free for all of the excellent stories to come, jump out now and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha.
2: I had a plan, you know. Mm, it's a good plan.
1: If there's one thing that I've learned in life, it's to always have a backup.
0: That would be you. Your immunity makes you the perfect plan, B.
2: All right, Wolfies. Now we're going to jump over to our interview with Michael Fjordbeck, who played young Peter in season two of Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. Hey, Michael. Hey, what's up? So, exactly how did Teen Wolf come into your
3: life? Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, um, I just remember I, I God, I uh, was in the middle of college and I uh, got this audition uh, just through my agency, kind of like the traditional way that an actor books a role, so it yeah. came through my agency. And um I saw that uh you know they give you like the, the breakdown of who it's produced by, which network the audition is for or the project is for. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh MTV networks. And I immediately thought to myself, there's no way I'm gonna book this because <laughs> they're like, why would they book a, a like a small actor from Dallas, Texas, um for in, an MTV show? And so I was like, whatever, let's just do this. And I almost didn't tape for it, uh, because it was a self-tape. And my sister was like, Michael, you never know what can happen. You should just try it and just see what happens. And I was like, okay. And so I just, uh, found a blank wall in my house and set up a camera, stacked it on some boxes and did my one page scene, sent it in. And, uh, yeah, so it, it, but it worked. I got it. So (laughs) so unexpected.
0: That's awesome, yeah that's yeah, really that's, cool.
3: that's great. It's those
2: those types of stories are always really fun, where it's just like it was just this thing whatever. And then it turns into like this whole something else, you know, because your your sister is one hundred percent correct. You never know. What the thing is going to be. So I was going to
0: say the fans owe a debt of gratitude to your sister. Clearly, right. So wow,
2: absolutely. I'll tell her
0: that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, absolutely, because I mean, you, you, you got to step into the role of an iconic character and then show us that character at a very different stage in his life, and so. Very, very happy for that. So w- when you first got the scripts for season two, did you know that you were playing a younger version of Peter Hale? Like, or I guess like part of the audition process and all that, did you know what you were going in for? Or was it when you got the job there, like, so here's the thing?
3: Uh, good question. So uh, on the audition, I forget if they actually had a name for the character because he's, he's slated as junior, like junior in high school. And so I was like, is junior in his name or or whatever. <laughs> and so it didn't say young Peter Hale. It was just like junior. And so I was like, OK, well, cool. Like no name character, just a, a title. He's a junior. Mm-hmm. And so I had no idea it was uh, actually young Peter until I guess I started reading through some of the flashback material that was uh, part of season two. So but um, I don't even know if I knew that, like my first filming date. So it was a total surprise to me, a very nice surprise. Uh, to be kind of a part of that storyline, versus just some toss-off like character that didn't mean much to the story, as much as like Peter does. So, right, Absolutely. yeah, that's
0: like core to the season two storyline.
3: Yeah, it's yeah. you're you're kind of this
2: like part of the central mystery. It's like who's who's this fella that Lydia is <laughs> talking to, and then all of a sudden, when the reveal yeah. comes, you're just like, what?
3: <laughs> yeah, seriously, I thought it was really cool how interwoven like uh lydia's hallucinations were with real life because like i remember filming the scene in the the classroom where i had that little glance up to camera and back away and i was like okay so i'm like kind of in the present circumstance but it's only in her imagination so um but it wasn't only overtly and only in her imagination it was sort of like this mix that was believable is this real or is she hallucinating or what's going on so oh
2: man i
1: love the storyline yeah it's great. Once you did find out that you were younger, Peter, did you watch any, um, of like Ian Bowen's performances to try to like mimic his style or mannerisms or anything like that?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I think I may have had a brief chance to, but when I got booked, like it was pretty rapid, like the amount of time I I had to get to set within days of actually being booked. It was a very quick turnaround. And so I was like, Oh God. Um, and I was on a ski trip actually. And the day I got back was when I had to leave for Atlanta from Dallas. And so I was like, God, I like I had the intention to spend days just researching how Ian acts as Peter from season one and his mannerisms. But with the way that the shooting worked, I didn't get to do a lot of that. So I, I did some I did some watching and tried to adopt whatever I could. But what I trusted in is that the writing would kind of guide my performance into still nonetheless emulating how Peter acts and that would come through myself in some evident way versus Mm -hmm. me trying to overdo the copying how Ian acts kind of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is really fun if you've got the time sometimes filming the pace is so quick. It's like, oh, I want to do all these things, but I just got to trust like the writing and do what I can in, in my spare time to research. So definitely sounds
1: like MTV timeline there. of Like, okay, now you get to start immediately.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's how we did it. Yeah. I have a question for you, Will. Yes. Yeah. So, like, tell me which seasons were you on staff writing for which uh, as an official
2: writer? It was five and six. But I started okay, so as, you're like, yeah, yeah, I started as the writer assistant in season three a and then okay. was officially a writer in season five and six but the the great thing about jeff is is that he's very much a if you're in the writer's room then you contribute it's not just okay. you're just there to get coffee and take notes which i did plenty of but it, it was like he would ask me you know it's like what do you think what's your pitch like how would we do a thing or whatever so if you're there you yeah. gotta do the work you know but also because like he and cool. and joe and karen the exec producers knew i wanted to be a
3: writer so they were like well okay. this is this is the test so don't I feel like kind of like that in the writing room I feel like what I one thing I love about Teen Wolf and I don't know if it was the executive producers and Jeff or who kind of made this call but I feel like Teen Wolf involved like a lot of newer actors and gave place for a lot of beginning actors and people trying to get into Hollywood because I'm just I'm in the midst of my own watch through right mm-hmm. now for the first time. And I'm like, man, there are so many outside of the core series regulars. There are a lot of like really cool guest stars and co-stars and recurrings. And it's like, there are a lot here, mm-hmm. a lot of actors being able to contribute to this story. So like, I think that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, no, we were very lucky to yeah. have so many wonderful actors come and join the show, even you, you know, from the biggest parts to the smallest parts. It's like everybody yeah. brought something great and it was it's awesome. Yeah. What was it like stepping into the role of you know, albeit a younger version of such a distinctive character that has made such an Im- that made such an impression on the previous season? Cause he was kind of like the whole question of the season was who is the alpha? And then it's like this dude right here. And then it's <laughs> like, Hey, you, I want you to play a younger version. And it's like, oh, okay. All right.
3: Yeah. Well, it's, it's so asking me coming from I actually didn't come from the context in which you just described the question. I didn't still know at at season two at the point of that like really who the full nature of the significance of Peter Hale and so I didn't know that he was this large scale like kind of villainous type of character and so I approached it just like an actor would any other character and instead of focusing kind of like on the big picture of the story which you do but like I was just making sure I was hitting my my scene study properly so I could give honor to the small moments and those collect into like the bigger portrayal of young Peter. So, and sometimes if you think about how big a, a character is in a story, it can kind of psych you out. And so it's like, okay, wait, I get it. He's super significant. I'm going to just focus on like the little steps, which is my scene study, my character work and uh, kind of trust that the bigger perception of who Peter Hale is will come through again in the storytelling. And I'm just playing my part as the actor to kind of be a part of that.
1: I think that's a great take on it and the writing was so good on Teen Wolf and like some other shows out there I feel like it could be harder just to like kind of trust that the material works but with Teen Wolf I feel like they definitely had very strong writing on there.
3: I agree. I think that's why I was also able to kind of uh, relax when I approach like how significant Peter is as a character is like I trust the writing, and I could tell off the bat like this is good writing. And I hadn't even watched I hadn't watched season one. I didn't really know what Teen Wolf was when I even booked it. So, but I kind of knew the writing was good just from the scenes I was doing and reading the rest of the the script when, that I wasn't a part of. So, I'm with you on that.
0: <laughs> nice. If Peter had a theme song, what do you think it would be?
3: I was thinking about that question. And really, I think that the theme song was already one of them, at least, was already like chosen. I really like the Flight Facilities Crave You song, the one that was in the scene where young Peter is making out with Lydia before he transforms or or, like flips over to real life. And it's like the song is about craving you. And what I love about that as young Peter Hale is like, I think Peter's desire runs deep for like a lot of things for power, recognition, acknowledgement, love. Um, like any human being crave you it's like yeah the way Peter acts it's like whether he shows it or not he really craves something which motivates him to go do what he does
2: yeah he doesn't seem like the type of person who does anything with it by a half measure that it's like yes. I, full out or nothing
3: so agreed and I'm still going to learn so much more about that because again I just started season three on my personal official watch through so I've got most of your writing, Will, to watch (laughs) coming up here. Thank you.
2: Thank you.
1: We see that Peter was always kind of manipulative towards Derek, even before the fire. What do you think caused Peter to be the way that he was? Do you have your own headcanon for that? Or did they give you any sort of backstory there?
3: I didn't get any backstory for that. And I think I was thinking about that question. And I guess you could fill in with whatever makes sense for you. But generally, It may have come from some unexplained trauma in his young life, which is what motivates most people to act manipulatively or other ways that are not super positive towards other individuals, some kind of like childhood or young life trauma. And what would that be? I mean, I don't know. And I think that could have been explained had they, I guess, included more flashback uh, storytelling. But I don't know, like, do you guys have an idea on that?
1: Well, that actually leads into my next question. Uh, I okay. personally feel like I have a fan theory that I created for Visionary. And yes. I feel like the story that is told about Paige is actually Peter's story, not Derek's. We never get confirmation from Derek in the episode that this is what happened to him. We only have it through Peter's telling uh, to Korra and Styles, And we know we can't trust Peter. So I feel like that might've caused his some of his Angst there. What do you think about that theory?
3: I think it's plausible. I think that's a really. I think it's super interesting that that is your theory. Like it very well could be his story, and he's kind of like saying it's someone else's story. So I think it's plausible.
2: It would be a lot of fun because he's this type of character who has such a bravado about him, and it feels like that's a lot of times play acting. Like he's pretending to project all of this stuff, and and where he's the type yes. of character that. Like the worst thing that could happen is for anyone to ever learn he feels feelings, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. that that would be it. That, yeah. That's the worst possible thing that could happen. And then, and then to have such trauma happen to him at such a young age with someone he deeply cared about would be even worse. But at the same time, he can't help himself. With telling it to somebody because it's that type of thing where criminals want to get caught, you know, mm. type of mentality and or or that belief that criminals want to get caught. That's why they keep doing it because they kind of want to get caught. and where he's telling this story that if anyone ever realized was it was about him, he'd probably lose his mind and murder somebody. But at the same time, he'd be like, it was it was me, you know, so <laughs> yeah, Jesus deep. Yeah.
0: And there is, I mean, at the end of that episode, isn't, isn't it Styles who says, I feel like Peter's an unreliable narrator? So he, he they never asked Derek about it, but that is something that he says in the episode is he doesn't believe or, th- or that he's not sure he trusts that Peter would tell it exactly like it was. Like he thinks the story, yeah. some part of that story is true. He just doesn't know which parts. And there is, I think you had pointed out, Calissa, when you were first talking about that fan theory that in the episode, you know, Derek is on the basketball team. It's like a star player on the basketball team and we had seen a picture of peter in the um in the glass case being a star player case. on the basketball mm-hmm. team mm-hmm. Yeah. so it does feel like it kind of lines up in a few different places would have been really interesting to learn more about that time period in peter's life definitely
2: yeah outside the episodes visionary and 117 lydia is the only person to interact with young peter what was it like to work pretty much exclusively with Holland Roden. And did you get a chance to to know the rest of the cast at all?
3: Good question. Yeah. So it was super great working with Lydia um, exclusively because she's a phenomenal actress and a really great girl. And so it was cool, super cool. But also part of me was like, man, I obviously would love to act with more people because it's more fun. And you get to, yeah, just interacting with other characters can kind of, you react differently to different people. And so it can kind of allow you as the actor to express even more of yourself through the character, but like no complaints. It was, it was great. <laughs> nice. Fantastic.
1: Yeah, it Fantastic. was so fun getting to see uh, Ian Nelson as like young Derek, get to interact with everyone else. Um, it would have been yeah. really fun to have uh, you come back as young Peter for that too. <laughs> A little bit of D. I know.
3: <laughs> yeah. I, so I didn't, know that uh i guess when we were filming season three i didn't know that young derek was actually going to be acting with some of the other actors in like the present time and so i was like oh man dude well good for you that's great like i think it would have been so much fun to act with tyler and dylan or like posey and dylan or all of them like they all would be super excellent to act with but again like holland is a great actress and so it was, it was still fun lots of fun to work with her so and obviously like Ian working with Ian Nelson is really cool too
0: yeah that was actually my next question because Peter and Derek have a fascinating dynamic so what was it Mm -hmm. like to film with Ian Nelson to portray younger versions of them
3: you know what it was really really interesting we we had a limited amount of time to get to know each other but we did have some times like on meal breaks or something to kind of like chat and um, when we were waiting for scenes to kind of like get to know each other so we didn't have any contact with each other before our actual like set days and I really think I I felt sort of like person to person like Michael to Ian a dynamic that may have resonated with like the Derek to Ian thing because I'm like older than Ian Nelson and that kind of made me feel like an older brother kind of vibe in character in relation to Ian and i also felt like i was a little more reserved of a personality than ian and so uh, and peter is like very intellectual i feel like i really resonate with that part about peter hale so i was like okay this is interesting there's some commonalities in how me and ian are with peter and Derek. so obviously i wish we had more time to get to know each other outside of just our filming days
1: people would have loved to have seen more young peter what else would you have liked to have seen explored with that character
3: God, so, so there's there's so much to be explored. I want to know about like peter young Peter's first love, his first kiss. like I want to know about the first girl he was really into. I want to know about some of his traumatic experiences that made him manipulative and like conniving and these other things. I want to know what makes him crave like significance and power the way he does. And so there there's like an endless world of young Peter. The writing allowed for a lot of mystery. That was untold. And mm-hmm. so there are so many interesting things in his life. That'd be super cool to find out. And like his early dynamic, his like younger life dynamic with Derek. Again, we get like a glimpse of that in some of the episodes, but like knowing how their relationship started would have been really cool compared to how it turned out to be. So just more of the like Peter and young Peter and young Derek's dynamic would be cool to explore. Yeah.
1: I think people nice. would have loved to yeah. spin off of that.
0: Just the adventures yeah. of young Peter and Derek. <laughs>
3: Yeah. Hale bros. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I know there was an interview with Tyler Hecklin where he was talking about how he had some headcanons about the Hale family since there was so much of that that kind of went unexplored. And he said he thought that if the fire had never happened and the Hale family were all alive, that Peter would have caused a civil war. In the hail pack because he would have wanted to be Alpha and it was Talia. What do you think about that?
3: Jeez. Uh I can see that. I also wonder if Peter would have been able to prevent a civil war because he's so strategic. Oh. Yeah. That's and somehow still get what he desires. Because I think if you're strategic and you're intellectual, you can kind of subvert any sort of physical expression, whether it's civil war or fighting. I think if you know how to craft and manipulate enough, you can kind of avoid those parts if your strategy is really effective and really manipulative yeah (laughs) that's
1: interesting a really good point that is a really good point yeah that would
3: that would be
2: very interesting to see peter you know get his way by making you believe that you want to give him something Right. You know that type of yeah. thing where he just incept. Re- that I yeah, yes, he talks you into. He's he's basically like Robert California on The Office, where he goes and talks mm-hmm. the CEO of a company into giving them their his job, type of thing. You know where it's like you're yeah incepting like like you really want me to be this thing. You know and but
0: and it's your idea.
2: Yeah. It's your idea. You know that that you think yeah. this is what's best. So uh, that would that would be fun too because. That is interesting that because who knows if Peter was so horribly violent before the fire. Like maybe that yeah. aggression came from the fire, you know, like just from such experiencing such a horrible trauma. And instead of being like, I'll use my words to get what I want. He's like, I'm going to f- people up left <laughs> and right until there's no one that yeah. put me at the top. Type of thing. <laughs> so, uh, who knows, Michael, I think yeah. you're right. I think maybe had there not been a fire, it just would have been talking. Yeah.
0: It would have been a cold war, no weapons, right. all propaganda. <laughs>
3: yes. Just, yeah, yes. seriously. It makes me think too, what, all, what you just said, like if that, I don't know, like how, what the fire experience did to him to change so much of his personality and his traits. Mm-hmm. I wonder, that makes me think as far as his younger years, his young Peter. What parts of him were totally opposite? Like, was he like extremely open and kind to people versus manipulative? Like, what? So maybe that is something that could have been explored in more flashback material, in young Peter's world. Is like, the the very beautiful parts of Peter's life that may have gotten really dark because of those experiences. Yeah,
1: yeah, would love have loved to seen that. It
3: would have been wonderful. <laughs> yeah.
1: What was your favorite scene to film?
3: Uh, my favorite scene to film was the one in season 2 uh where young Peter is with Lydia uh with like the and he's like uh, bring the flower that scene fi- behind her house was just a lot of fun to film just as an actor because I remember I think we did like 3 takes of it Christian Taylor came up to me and said one director note and then like Russell I think came up to me and told me something else. And I think he was the director for that episode. But they were two opposite things. And I was like, wow. you guys didn't communicate that these are different things. And then they were like, action. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, and so internally as an actor, I was just like, you know what? Like that obviously didn't empower me with clarity as an actor. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I made like the split second, super fast decision to just do whatever I would have done in real life right now. And, and it was perfect. So like, uh, that was that third take that just felt super good. And what distinctly made it fun for me was like, I wasn't just standing here saying lines to Lydia. I was like using my body language and moving closer to her, which made her a step back and just moving more of my body to create, I don't know, like a real life feeling to the scene, trying to grab her hand that wasn't written in and just kind of doing uh-huh. stuff that's not kind of written in that makes sense because they usually don't write in body language things or mm-hmm. like physical cues that you're supposed you could do in a scene and when you add those real life elements it brings the acting and the, the relationship on camera to life because they have to react to what you're doing physically it's not just standing here saying lines and so that was super fun to to kind of like to do and it came from a moment of utter fright i was like oh god, <laughs> someone's gonna get mad so i'm gonna just do this like it was real life And it worked out really well. And what I love about that too was after we cut that, shooting that scene, I went back to Video Village and Dylan O'Brien and Tyler Posey were there and they were watching. And Dylan uh, came up to me after that just uh, casually and was like, man, that was a really good scene. And I was like, oh man, thanks, dude. It was really cool. (laughs) (laughs) So just getting like the affirmation of the other actors was really encouraging.
1: I love that scene. And it's always so fun to hear uh, about like, yeah, like the choices you made, that's not in the script of how to, like like you said, like the body language. I always love hearing about yeah. that. It's really yeah. cool. For sure. So there's a lot of questions surrounding the age of the werewolves on the show. Personally, how old do you think Peter was in the present time? And how old do you think he was whenever you were portraying him?
3: I want to say like mid to upper 20s in present time and in young Peter time, twenty one ish give or take on both ends a couple years that's what i think because i think (laughs) but like like, peter hale present time acts with such intellect it gives off a sense of maturity right that that might make him feel a little older than he than one may think why what do you guys think do you have like Something that kind of breaks the norm there? (laughs) God, I have no idea. It's actually 100 or something.
0: Just a headache trying to decide
1: the ages of the werewolves
0: on the show. It is. And that I copied over the line of dialogue from Visionary when Styles tries to ask how old he is because I don't understand what it means. So I thought I would ask if you have any idea what it means. So in Visionary, he says, not as young as we could have been, but not as old as you might think
3: yeah it's it's really it's like a riddle i know exactly, uh, yeah. classic peter um, <laughs> classic peter it's it's supposed to be a mystery i suppose
0: he's one of those people where like if he had a birthday you just have to put a question mark candle on top of the yes. <laughs> yeah well
2: that's when style should have just been like so 31
0: In addition to being of ambiguous age, Peter is by far the longest running villainous character on Teen Wolf. Between you and Ian Bowen, the character appears in 44 episodes across all six seasons. So what do you think it is about Peter that viewers find so compelling?
3: I think that it's his ability to stay with a motive and a plan no matter what comes into their world. Like he always has a strategy, no matter what, he always believes he can get what he wants, no matter who comes in or who goes out. And so it it attests or plays into his longevity uh, across the storyline and how things weave in and weave out. Like he can like adapt to whatever comes up and he's intelligent enough to have a plan, make a strategy, utilize whoever's coming in and coming out to his own end.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. That type of character is infinitely watchable when you know that whenever they're talking to someone, it's like there's something else happening, like that we don't know yet. So it's like this, you know, when they're talking to a character in a scene, you're like, what what is their goal? And what are they getting out of it? What don't we see yet? And then it's like, well, five episodes later, there's going to be a surprise. And when you look back (laughs) over the season, you're like, it was there the whole time. (laughs) Why weren't we paying enough attention? Because you don't realize what's happening to you. He's, he's, He can... That type of character can so easily kind of pull the wool over your eyes and uh, yeah, talk you into something.
3: Yeah, I remember my first moment where I questioned Peter Hale's commitment to family over like personal gain when Derek was fighting mechanema and Gerard, I think, was there or something. There it was like they were by this little creek or something. It was at night and Peter was watching from afar and like when Derek would get. I guess, hit by the canima. I couldn't quite tell if he was like, yeah, keep keep hitting him so he can like fall and I can go take what I lost. <laughs> <laughs> or like if he was like actually concerned about Derek, I couldn't quite tell. And so I was like, okay, so where is he with this? What is, what's more important here? Family or getting power? I don't know, at least yeah. at that point.
1: Yeah, I think that ambiguity definitely is what kept viewers interested too. It's just, yeah, not knowing. What he's going to do next, just knowing that he is a survivor and who will get what he wants. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you could have played any other character on Teen Wolf, who would have been?
3: Oh, man. That's such a tough question because there's so many interesting characters. And young Peter is such unmatchably interesting character. It's hard to want to have played anyone else. But if I absolutely had to, Peter didn't like exist and there's someone else I didn't care to play that was a villain like Peter, uh, I would have, I don't know, probably like Scott, like... That would be super fun to play.
1: Very lovable character, Scott. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. What I noticed about Scott too is like testament to Tyler Posey's acting skill is just like, I rarely feel like I'm watching an actor. I always feel like I'm watching Scott and I'm like, oh man, but I'm watching an actor do his thing. But even as an actor, I'm like, he just, he's so natural at the way he portrays Scott. And I'm like, this is really enjoyable. So I could tell he's like really experienced and good at what he does. So I never felt pulled out of watching because there was uh, an acting mistake or difference I would have had as another actor watching an actor. So I don't know, that was really delightful to see Tyler Posey playing Scott in a way where I never got pulled out of the story.
1: Everyone on the show is just so talented. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes you'll watch other teen shows and they cast, I feel like, looks over talent, but I feel like on Teen Wolf, everyone's just so talented. I mean, also pretty, but very, very talented.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it seems in a lot of circumstances, looks seems to be superior to talent, which is frustrating as an actor, because you you can't change what you look like as much as you can change how you how you perform something. Um, that's kind of more malleable than <laughs> what you look like. But yeah, on the show, like tons of great talent and tons of good looks. So
2: yes,
1: win,
3: best of both worlds. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's the subtitle for the show. Tons of great talent and tons of good looks. (laughs) This is related to my previous question about what fans are so interested in about Peter. I've seen fans compare Peter and Lydia's storyline in season two to the Phantom of the Opera and even the myth of Hades and Persephone. So what do you think it is about that relationship that fans find so fascinating?
3: Because it's so wrong or just like unorthodox. I, I guess I can see like, the uh the comparisons to those mythological stories but uh I don't know it's like at where I am and on my own watch through I'm like obviously it's about manipulation than actual mostly than love at this stage so God, that's a that's an interesting question I almost like want to know what you guys think about that
2: Kate and Calissa are more well read than I am so
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it plays a really interesting role in Lydia's character arc because of where she starts in season one where she's kind of I i, I think Lydia is also very much a strategist all the yeah. choices that she makes in season one including the choice to look like a vapid dumb mean girl that's a choice too that's a strategic choice because she doesn't think that she can get ahead or get what she wants being the person that she truly is and so I think yeah there's something very compelling about seeing that kind of character who also can be very manipulative come up against someone who also wields that kind of power and mm-hmm. what happens when you know you're kind of on the other side of that you know because on, on season one when when Lydia kisses Scott, it's not because she suddenly woke up one morning and had a crush on Scott. It, yeah it's not that at all. She's making a strategic decision based on where yes. things are with Jackson and where she thinks Scott is going in his life and where she thinks a relationship with him could take her or or what that might do to change Jackson's actions. That's the kind of person that she is in season one. So I think... Seeing her come up against another master manipulator and not be so sure where she stands anymore is kind of like, you know, the shoes on the other foot. And it's strange and like you, you feel sorry for her being manipulated, but you're also really interested to see where this ends and if she's able to turn the tables because she's also very cerebral. And yes. uh very intellectual. She just like Peter, there are parts of herself that she believes no one can ever have access to.
3: Yeah, that's super fascinating. Yeah. I love all of what you just said. That's really I, I actually agree with you. I think that they have a match as far as their intellect goes and how they put on a persona, but there's actually something behind all of it. So they they match really well on that end. Like I, I'm thinking about the relationship between Scott and Allison versus Lydia. And Peter, it's like Scott and Allison, it's all lovey-dovey, it's passionate. But like with uh, Peter, like there's there's a job that's got to get done through the love, through the relationship. It's not just love, there's yeah. a power, there's a bigger picture and, and power that's involved and stuff that's got to get done. So it's just yeah. a different. Right. There's a goal.
2: Yeah. Right. Like, goal. I'm doing this because I want something from you. Are there any other characters you wish you could have interacted with more? Like if you had to choose like one other character on the show that you wish you could have had a scene with?
3: I think it'd be so cool to have young Peter interact with present day Derek and see if young Peter still tries to control an older Derek or influence an older Derek. Secondly, young Peter and styles, just to see how a younger Peter's dynamic with styles would be versus like older Peter and styles.
1: I would have loved both those scenes.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Those
1: characters would have been absolutely amazing. I think fans would have really loved them too to see those dynamics. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Especially with, I think Derek, and young Peter, older Derek, young Peter, because like the I feel like the power Very dynamic has shifted. Yeah. And uh that that would have been really cool. But yeah. Yeah, that would have been great, actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I also feel like Peter's like Styles is the person who he respects the most, really. And I just would be interested to see if young Peter
0: felt the same
3: way. Yeah, I get that.
0: Styles is the only character in the run of the show, I think that Peter ever asks if he wants something, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. because normally normally Peter is like, this is what's happening. You can either be part of this solution that I've devised or I'll f*** you up. Like those are the options. (laughs) Yeah. And especially if you take into account Calissa's headcanon that he had kind of tried to get Paige the bite without talking to her about it. There is something kind of surprising at the end of season one that he asks Styles if he wants the bite. You yeah. didn't ask Scott, right? He just sort of was like, nom, nom, nom. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: that is kind of interesting too. Yeah. Yeah. You appeared in six episodes across three seasons. Do you have a favorite of those episodes as an actor?
3: Yes. Um episode 308, Visionary. It was cool as an actor just because I had a lot more responsibility on my shoulders. I had a lot more scene work than I did in season two. And so it was just cool to have more to do as an actor. Because after when you get a little taste, you get like a little guest star, co-star, or a little recurring role, and you realize how much fun it is. It's like oh, I want more of this. I'm ready for more. I'm this is so exciting and so fulfilling and cathartic. And so and I had just a lot more scene work and acting to do on that particular episode. And also I had like my first experience with product placement, like the Reese's. (laughs) Yeah. And I didn't know that was coming. It's not written in the script. And so I remember that was interesting too, because we had like freaking 24 takes of that scene on the picnic bench and it was hot that day. And I was always impressed about how professional everything was run on the Teen Wolf set because they had someone there specifically to wipe my finger from the melting chocolate from the Reese's peanut butter cup. And so I probably ate 24 of those things. Like every take, I had to get a new one because it was so hot, it was melting down my hand. And I had to take a bite, say the line, take a bite. (laughs) Perfect things are something in an imperfect world or whatever the line was. And so that was cool because you, as an actor, you have to, you know, do that businessy thing, but do it in character. And uh, so that I don't know, that episode was just a thrill to to do. Because also, like, I got to act with some newer actors, obviously like Ian. And just had a lot more to do, nice. a lot more responsibility. Nice, fun.
1: Yeah, it's a great episode.
3: It is. Yeah.
1: So. You've shared some fun memories with us already, like with the Reese Cup and the direction um, from two different yes. directors playing you something yes. different from you. Do you have any God. other memories you'd like to share with us from filming?
3: We were filming up in uh, like north of L.A. in the mountains. I don't quite remember which episode this was for, like numerically, like which episode. But it was when young Peter like, is watching out for young Derek and he like catches the arrow right before it hits his chest. And is that in Visionary? Is that in 308?
1: I believe that's also visionary. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I think it I is. Think that's an yeah. op-
1: opening with them
3: yeah. together, I believe. Okay. Okay. So it's, yeah, it's the open. <laughs> okay. And uh, what I remember about that scene is when they were getting, they were getting like a close up of Ian or something. And I had to like catch the arrow and grab his shoulder and we had to turn and run. But B cam was freaking right behind Ian. And so um, we say, they say, action, I do the thing. I say the line or, whatever. And I grab his shoulder and we turn and Ian busts his face into the lens of like the B cam. <laughs> oh and I, no. and, and I was like, Oh bro, was that like inside? I'm like, God, was that my fault? Cause it's dark. It's like, we were filming at like 3am or something. And it was super dark. They didn't tell me they what was happening over here. <laughs> and so I just remember, bam, he hits his face and we keep running um, to finish the scene. And he's like, oh God, oh. And it's uh, <laughs> reacting to the pain. And um, I felt super bad because I was like, first off, they didn't tell me they were going to be standing right there. But I literally grabbed his shoulder and had to kind of push his body that way. So I felt responsible for his his pain. <laughs> use, the pain so, use the pain, Ian. Use the pain, Yeah, use the pain.
2: Definitely
1: an interesting story. Yes, yeah. definitely
2: a good one. Yes. Yeah. Running yeah. right in the cameras, face first. Running right in the camera. <laughs> Michael, are there any upcoming projects you can tell us about?
3: Yeah, uh, so I I filmed a movie in Louisiana in March and early April. And it was uh, my first time being the actual like leading man in a film oh, context. Fantastic. And so, yeah, and it involves like music too. And I love music. I play guitar, play drums, play the keys. And so that's going to be super cool. I felt like for me, I broke through some personal acting barriers and limitations I had. From that experience. And I just like pushed myself artistically and creatively during that filming process. And so that should come out either later this year or early 2022. So, yeah, that's pretty exciting. And who knows, I might definitely. like book some stuff in between at that time. Certainly hope so.
1: Yeah, we'll definitely be on the lookout for that.
3: Yeah. yeah. Thank you.
1: Fans actually wanted to know, um, in particular, if you had any new music projects coming out.
3: I love it. I love that people are curious about that. So, before I wanted to be an actor, like music was my absolute passion, but acting just kind of took off when like Teen Wolf happened. So I was like, okay, I got to focus on this. And so, but like deep inside music has been like my inner call and my deepest creative love and desire. And so, yeah, I definitely have the intention to release an EP, uh, within a year, maybe sooner. It depends on like, wow. I guess how, how motivated I get myself, but, uh, I'm super stoked about, that's whenever I materialize my my music <laughs> and release it. Fans want it. Fans are
2: very interested. Yes. So,
3: okay, I didn't quite realize that. That's
2: super
0: good to know. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, you know, hit us up. Let us know,
2: please. Yes. Okay, that would be awesome. So yeah, okay, I
3: will. And I noticed like a number of the other Teen Wolf actors are also quite musical. Like, um, Ian Nelson released a song, Freud does music.
1: Taylor Posey just announced he's going on tour, I believe. Yeah.
3: Yeah, And he's, yeah, he's got his band. He's going on tour. Arden oh, does yeah, music it's... too, I believe. Wait, I'm wait, the... I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. Theo. Uh, oh, uh, 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 Cody uh, Christian. Yeah. Cody. Cody Christian. Yeah. Yeah. He He's like a, he raps. He, he does music too. Yeah. There's a couple other ones too. Don O'Brien used to
1: be in a band. He plays drums.
3: That's right. I read that in like a, a bio of his or something. Andrew Matazaro also like sings. Too. Nice, nice. Mm. So, yeah. So it's yeah. It's super cool that I'm not the only musically interested Teen Wolf actor That's pretty tight.
1: Yeah, time to start a Teen Wolf band.
3: Yeah, Teen Wolf
2: band. Yeah, <laughs> the band be back awesome.
1: together. <laughs> that boys would be of awesome. Beacon Hills.
2: The boys of Beacon Hills. I love it. Yeah. Oh wow, I love it. Well, Michael, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so yeah. much for agreed coming yes. on and Thank talking you with so us. Much. You're welcome. It was
1: really enjoyed yeah. it.
2: Fans I love. Did too. Peter and young Peter getting able to see multiple facets of the same character at different points in his life. And I mean, you're definitely one of the, one of the reasons why Teen Wolf is as popular as it is. I mean, people, Jeez. Mm-hmm. People love it, honor. you know, and it's like everyone who was involved brought something amazing to it. And and so did you. Yeah. So, I mean, Dude, thank you. I appreciate that. No, thank you, sir. And <laughs> <laughs> but thank you for, for thank you for joining us. I received the compliment. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for joining us. It's yeah. been a yeah. great pleasure. Wolfies, we had a great time talking with Michael, but now it's time to get to some spoilers.
1: Okay, guys, is this supposed to be Matt in the hood during the teaser death scene?
2: Yeah, that's totally Matt.
1: Okay, he doesn't look like the same build.
2: True. Whoever that was does look taller than Stephen Ford.
0: Yeah. I couldn't tell, but I'm 5'1", everyone's tall to me.
1: Actually, I have a picture with Stephen Ford, and obviously he's taller than me, but that's not how that guy looked in the woods tall. So it's just one of those scenes, like, it, it bothers me. Obviously, I understand why it happens, but it really annoys me whenever like there's a whole big mystery about who someone is. And then they have someone who doesn't have the same like build as them play them in other scenes. And you're like, that's not fair because if I'm trying to crack who it is, you shouldn't have like, you know, a five foot woman playing them when it's really like an eight foot guy. Like I, just, <laughs> like, I don't like when they don't have someone who looks like the actor.
2: Right. And they get up. Yeah. No, it's a cheat. You're trying to make the audience believe something that isn't true. But it's like, well, if it's a mystery, you should give them all the evidence and they just don't realize what they're seeing or whatever. So no, it's not a fun cheat. But speaking of Matt, in that detention scene, Matt just like pulls out his tablet and is reading through the information and says Canama aloud. Like, I mean, just take out the evidence of your deceit right in front of the people you're deceiting.
1: <laughs> yeah. At least he offers Jackson some pop ships. It's like he's trying to keep his Kanima well-fed. He's like, snack, little Kanima guy.
2: treat? treat?
1: Yeah, and Styles figures him out. Trust the instinct.
2: I wonder if during the destruction of the library scene, Matt was, like, regretting some of his decisions since he did get paralyzed.
1: Yeah, Ugh dead people out of it though he's probably fine
2: that's true but it seems as though now the canama has turned on him
0: see i thought maybe this was calculated to throw off suspicion i thought the reason that jackson was seeing those messages and was sort of puppeted into leaving the message on the chalkboard was because matt ordered him to
1: see at this point i wasn't i didn't know like it transfers to like gerard
2: right mm-hmm. yeah when he murders matt
1: you know, had, Gerard has started, like, kind of, like, infiltrating as well. Mm-hmm. And, like, kind of, like, you know, tearing him between two masters.
0: I thought it was more of a clean break, but... It
1: very well could be. I just, you know, didn't know. He was trying to get him to get sent, here's a kind of a guy, smell <laughs> me so we'll be friends.
0: <laughs> yep.
2: Your current master only offers you plain pop chips. I will give you
3: mesquite. <laughs>
0: For a second there, I, I thought that Harris saw the Canama's claws in the rear view mirror in that scene where he was uh, driving away from the school parking lot, but he didn't actually see anything when they did the audio sting, did he? No.
1: No, I think they just did the sting to indicate that this is his car, reminding us that we saw the bumper sticker before.
0: Yeah, oh.
2: it's a cheat.
1: It's the red herring car.
2: <laughs> yes, it's 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 a red herring car. And it's it's just a cheat moment where they're trying to make him look villainous, even though nothing's happening. Like he's just backing out of his parking space. He doesn't need to have a moment where the camera like pushes in on his villain, his already villainous face, but being more villainous. It's just so we think he's the master of the canema when he's really not. And Matt just stole his car.
0: Okay. I don't, I don't know what I was seeing in the rearview mirror. It just it looked like there was some like.
2: Claws, yeah, coming in like on his seat rest. Yeah,
0: like right there. There, there was some object there that I because I was looking for something because I could tell from me yeah. the they were like, What's he seeing? and I was like, I don't know, what is he seeing? Is it are they claws?
2: Yeah,
1: so this is the Hail House, right? That Lydia walks up to,
0: yeah, I guess it is supposed to be the Hail House before the fire.
2: Yeah, I guess so.
0: It, they don't get that deeply into it, it more it just morphs into the current Hail House.
2: Yeah, I wanted uh, when we were seeing young Peter, I wanted his clothes to be kind of retro so that looking back, you could be like, oh, that's right, because, you know, that's what Peter wore in high school.
1: Yeah, well, then we'd have to know what decade he was in high school, for one thing.
2: There it is. Accurate.
1: But he's wearing a wooden necklace in the scene where he kisses Lydia. And that's definitely like a 90s thing. I feel like Peter would have been the teenager with a pierced ear. Anyone else get that vibe?
2: No, no, absolutely. And it would have been like a jangly one.
0: Like Lost Boys style?
2: Yes, absolutely. But who buried Peter at the Hale House? Like, I mean, did he have another nurse on standby to then dig a hole and put him in it?
0: (laughs) I think it was Derek. Even though Peter sucked, he was part of the pack. So I feel like there's still some lingering respect there. And that's their tradition to be buried on the territory. At least that's my headcanon.
1: Okay. But
0: then why is he naked? I have no idea.
2: Because all his I clothes burn off.
0: have no...
2: Because he was the alpha, and the alpha doesn't wear... You know, when you're a werewolf, fully transformed, you're not... You know, you don't have clothes on. And he got burned. And then after everyone left that scene, you know, and the Argents took Kate's body, you know, Derek was just there being like, oh, man, I said I'm the alpha, man, I was totally badass. And he looked down, and there's his, like, dead uncle. So he was just, like, drug him into the house and pushed him into a, to a hole naked and filled it in.
0: Maybe it was... Chris, who did it? Uh, I feel like if it had been Chris, Chris would have cut him in half.
1: I was wondering that, but, you know, he was dealing with a lot of trauma with Kate and everything. Maybe he was like, he's he was already kind of like half dead with the whole burning thing mm-hmm. originally. Maybe he just thought... He's definitely dead this time around and he's the one who buried him just because like just to get rid of the body. Because the Argents don't want people figuring out like werewolves exist just as much as actual werewolves
0: don't. Right. That's
2: true. That's true. Yeah.
0: I feel like though from later seasons, what we come to understand about Chris's character that he's better at compartmentalizing than that. Yeah. That's true. He rivals Derek in his ability to compartmentalize trauma. Yeah. I
1: mean. Has he commented before about cutting people in half? I, I, I was, know he threatened Scott, but like
2: I was gonna say, is that
1: something that Chris does
2: in Omega in the first episode of the season? Wasn't he like when Gerard pulls out the sword? Wasn't he a little yeah?
0: But hesitant? that was That's yeah. But that was he, killing the Omega.
1: Yeah, he didn't feel like he needed to die because he hadn't done anything wrong.
0: Right. It wasn't right. like right because cutting up a corpse is weird. It was like well, we don't we don't kill were- werewolves who haven't killed people.
2: Right, yeah. But
0: th- this is different. And like, I I don't think that it's something that Chris feels as strongly about as Victoria and Gerard do. Yeah. But I do think that Victoria would be like, you cut h- him in half, correct? Oh, you didn't? Okay, we're driving back over there right now yeah. so I can do it myself.
1: Okay, new theory. Chris ordered henchmen to do it. And those are underpaid men. They don't have health insurance. Mm-hmm. They're like, I'm not standing out here all night, cut out the body and everything. Just bury him as it is. But I do want his clothes. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: okay, that's it. Headcanon accepted. It is law.
2: I'm down for that.
1: I just feel like it doesn't necessarily make sense for Derek or Chris. Because yeah, I do feel like it's probably like, likely that Chris would cut him in half. But Derek, we saw how he buried Laura and- you know, he buried her on the grounds, not in the house. That's true. And it also he had her surrounded by wolf So it seemed like, you know, he was keeping her like as a wolf. Yeah. And that wasn't the case with Peter.
0: That though, I thought was like a different level of respect. Like okay. all pack members have to be buried in the territory. This is all none of this is based on the show. This is based on me thinking about this for the last 10 years. But I feel like burying a pack member on pack territory is tradition. That's what they do. And Derek cares about werewolf traditions because he doesn't have much left from his family except that sort of thing. But the spiral is a special sign of respect. And also if we remember from how Derek talks about it, a promise to get retribution. And he's not making that promise to Peter because he's the one who killed Peter and Peter deserved it and that was getting retribution for someone. It's not like okay, you've been murdered by someone and I promise to get revenge for you. Yeah. That's what the spiral would have been.
2: Yeah.
1: I, I feel like it's a sign of respect, but also surrounding them with with Wolf Spain, I feel like might also just be something that's like family tradition that also originated in the fact that it's just practical, like it makes sense. Like because when they first uncovered it, they're like, oh, it's just a wolf or dog. Mm -hmm. And it's only once they pulled it up that they're like, oh my God, it's human. So people would be more likely to like leave it alone and they wouldn't disturb it. If it like because if it she hadn't they hadn't realized it and like she turned back, they would have left the body alone. Yeah. And Derek could have just like reburied her. But you know, since it was discovered, obviously that was a whole nother set of issues. So I feel like it's also just like a smart smart tactic to make sure like no one messes with their remains
2: yeah
0: yeah and i i've been wondering like would werewolf packs get like a special religious exemption to allow them to bury their own dead because normally you're not allowed to do that that would be unlawful disposal of remains yeah but i feel like did
1: like the little miss sunshine thing where they just throw the body out like a window and take off
2: (laughs) (laughs) i think peter was buried in the house because the writers thought it would look cool if yeah, the I mean, that's, down,
0: that's, that's, the, that's the bottom line. But you know we have that we English will...
1: degrees. Let us have this.
0: Let us have this. <laughs> we will do whatever narrative backflips are required to protect our precious backflipping characters and make it make sense.
2: I like all those headcanons, so I'm, I'm down. Beautifully said. Very well, very well said.
0: Okay, guys, I have a question. Moving on okay. from that,
1: they didn't have to break Derek's arm to trigger his healing process when he was poisoned with Kanima venom. Is it because Derek was an alpha and Erica is a beta? Why did he have to do that to her?
0: I think it's because she has epilepsy. But why does she still have epilepsy
1: after getting the bite? She hasn't had any of her symptoms until now.
2: Uh, story reasons.
1: I think- the Teen Wolf. <laughs> Go-to answer.
2: (laughs) Exactly.
0: I think maybe what they're saying here is that some conditions can't be quote-unquote cured. They're lying dormant.
1: They lack consistency, I feel like, on this.
0: I kind of like that they did that with Erica's epilepsy. I feel like it would have been more problematic if it had just solved everything.
1: Yeah, I get that. And I don't have an issue with them not fixing it. You know, I feel like that is an interesting plot point. But I feel like it's a consistency problem with the storytelling. Scott's asthma, which was also a chronic issue, disappeared when he got the bite. We have him like having a panic attack that he thought was his asthma, but it was just a panic attack. Mm-hmm.
0: That's true. I do think there could be an explanation for why the asthma disappeared and not the epilepsy. But I don't know if Teen Wolf wanted to get down to that level of granularity with the mythology. For instance, they could say that a neurological issue is different from a pulmonary issue because the brain is a more complex organ and, quote, healing it is a more complicated task.
2: Right. Teen Wolf is sometimes interested in getting down to that level of detail in the, with the mythology, but only when it's good for the story in the moment.
0: Yeah, I think in the moment is the operative phrase there, because to Calissa's point, consistency in the mythos is also good for the story, but it's more of an ongoing thing. Like if a plot point seems to contradict a previously established rule, it's good storytelling to explain how and why that works and expand upon the rule.
2: I agree 100%. If you establish a rule, you should stick with it no matter what. If the characters run into a problem because of that rule, well, then you now have drama, which we want.
0: Or expand on it. Like I said, it could have been really interesting if, for instance, they had discussed here that neurological issues aren't as simple and the bite won't necessarily change your brain and then that could come up again in 3B and have style saying, "Wait, does that mean that if I did have frontotemporal dementia, the bite wouldn't save me?" and then have him grappling with that that there's no easy fix. So this could come up in a way that is very urgent for the story in the moment, just later.
1: That would be really interesting. I would have liked to have seen that explored. Me too. On um, the subject of people reacting to the bite and like how bodies process and everything. Do you guys think that Peter knew from season one that Lydia would be immune? I mean, that seems to be like what's implied here in this episode.
0: Yeah, it's it's not really explained, but I feel like based on what he says here, she had to be a banshee. Like that's the only way Peter's plan would work. She's immune to the bite. And as it turns out, Canima Venom, because she's a banshee, And I feel like. So it has
1: nothing to do with her (laughs) Jackson's, what you're telling me?
2: (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: I, I do think that that kind of makes sense because the whole thing with banshees is they have this connection to death, right? They can sense when death is coming. You see a banshee, you hear the banshee wail when death is coming. I like this idea of building on the banshee mythology to suggest that not only can they sense death and be an omen of death, but kind of a a conduit that conducts a soul from here to the other side or back. The only thing is Teen Wolf never really gives us any more information about how that works, which sucks because it's really interesting. And I love this idea of like using a person as a vessel Mm -hmm. that you just Kind of keep in your back pocket like just in case i've got this time capsule you know that i've put a piece of myself inside that could be opened back up and that could kind of bring me back from the other side i like all that definitely
2: i do like this this addition to the mythology with werewolves that somehow you can learn to inject yourself into a person's consciousness in case you're gonna die and that you can, if things are done correctly, bring yourself back to life. That's, that's interesting. Like a so. horcrux. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's a horcrux.
0: I feel so sad for Derek at the end of this episode when Scott goes to him and says, hey, I'll be in your pack if you don't kill Jackson and you go along with whatever plan I come up with. And Derek agrees It's just
1: really heartbreaking. He tries so hard. And yes, obviously he's flawed in so many ways, but I feel like it's so shitty because Scott never had any intention
0: of joining his pack. That's actually what I was going to ask is if you guys thought he had any intention, because I know in season one, we had a discussion about whether we thought Derek ever had any intention of letting Scott kill the alpha. And Will, you had originally thought that Derek never had any intention. Calissa and I thought that he originally did and changed his mind when he discovered the identity of the Alpha. But at that time, I I still maintain that it makes more sense that Derek, when he told Scott that, had every intention of letting Scott try it. And my reasoning is that if he was just lying to Scott, there's no reason why he would be like, I don't know if it's true.
1: Yeah. Like in that situation, it's not presented in a way where you definitely see what Derek is gaining by lying to Scott. Because yeah, the way he presents it isn't like, for one thing, it's not out of nowhere.
0: It's not like- It's in know, res- direct just, response to Scott's question. Exactly. He didn't
1: just pop in one day and be like, hey, here's this thing I forgot to tell you about. Right. He might be able to cure you. He seems like kind of like- reluctant in telling scott he's very clear about like it's only something i've ever heard before it's not like i saw this happen one time so it will totally work you just super have to help me do this
0: if he was never intending to let scott try why would he even say i don't know if it's true like if you're trying to manipulate someone you're obviously going to be like oh yeah totally uh i'm so glad you asked all you have to do is help me kill the alpha and you're good like it, it doesn't really make sense. But here, Scott pretty much is telling Derek exactly what Derek wants to hear, mm-hmm. which is, I'll be part of your pack. He's getting from Derek what he wants, which is going along with the plan for taking care of the canema that Scott has concocted, sight unseen. Yeah. Do we all think that Scott never had any intention of being in a pack with Derek?
1: I I think he never had any intention of joining him.
2: I don't think he's being, I don't think it's malicious. You know, he's like, Ooh, this person wants this thing for me. So I'm going to pretend to give it to them to get what I want. I think he's just like the ends justifies the means that I want to save Jackson's life. I know Derek probably going to want to kill him. So I need to tell Derek what he wants to hear in order to save his life.
0: I think that's pretty rich coming from Scott. The ends don't justify the means McCall.
2: I agree 100%. Yeah. Um, That's
0: like kind of his thing,
1: right? It is. It is,
2: but except when he does it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> totally on brand for him. And
1: I mean, just earlier this episode, he was like, yeah, we totally need to just kill Jackson.
2: I think that was all jokey just because he had just been in a fight with Jackson. I I honestly don't think he, if he had the opportunity, he would have popped his claws and ripped his throat out right then.
1: I think that if Scott thought Jackson was a real threat to Allison, he 100% would kill him.
2: You're right.
0: I agree.
1: And I feel like that was what was really happening in that moment. No,
0: or if he right. thought they were banging and it was close enough to that time of the month footage specifically found
1: (laughs) that concludes this week's episode of return to beacon hills we hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things teen wolf follow us on twitter and instagram at rtbh podcast and tumblr and tiktok at return to beacon hills if you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss you can email us at return to beacon hills at gmail.com join us here next week when we discuss season two episode eight raving and talk with stunt actor david ellison Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness. Five-star reviews, get a shout out. Have a great week and
2: we'll see you soon on Return to Beacon Hills.
3: Dude, it's Beacon Hills.